you gotta be contributing and adding value or you begin to question yourself. That was Holly Harrington, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the Indianapolis International Airport Authority, talking about how transparency, authenticity, and value for all people are key to any successful corporate DEI initiative. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. So Holly, it's so good to have you here. I'm so excited to speak with you today, and I'd like you to tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that led to you becoming the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the best airport in North America as established for the last decade, the Indianapolis International Airport Authority. Tell us about yourself. Thank you, Angela. Ooh, where do I start? Uh, I tell my kids I've been here longer than I'm going to be here, so just a lot of stories to share. So I am a native of Detroit, Michigan, but I have been in Indianapolis for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Thought I was going to be here for six years, fell in love, and three kids later, I guess I can say I'm a Hoosier. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I left Detroit in 86 and went to um, Howard University in Washington, D.C., and studied mechanical engineering. So we can talk a little bit later about how do you go from engineering to diversity. So I would say diversity chose me. I did not know this is what I was going to do when I left Howard University, but I would say my experience created a perfect storm that positioned me to do the work of supplier diversity, which led later to me becoming the diversity officer at the Indianapolis airport. So I would say it was not my goal, but it has become my passion. And I feel really blessed that what I do every day makes a difference for so many other people. My path in the field of diversity was because people said, hey, I got an opportunity for you. I think you can do this. And it started at our old employer, Eli Lilly, when I was doing engineering work. And they were like, well, we want more individuals from Howard University to come. And so I started working on the Howard University recruiting team. So going back and pulling more um, students. And in order to do that, you got to make sure your house is in order. And so we had a team of, of women from Howard, and we worked together, and we went back and did recruiting. But once we brought other students in, we tried to mentor them and make sure that they could be successful in the organization as well. And then that led to, again, getting a tap on the shoulder saying, we want you to do recruiting for all of manufacturing and quality. So I got to do recruiting, but really had a focus on in on how do you bring in more diverse candidates right, in right. the trades, as well as in the professional positions. So that was really, really cool. And then got another tap on the shoulder and said, hey, you've done a pretty good job of recruiting people. Do you think you could do businesses? And that's what landed me in the supplier okay, diversity okay. job. So I would say when I went into the role, I knew a little bit about minority business, women-owned business, veteran-owned businesses, but not to the extent, you know, that I do now. And I always tell people, I share stories about how recruiting people and businesses are very similar, and your approaches, especially for diversity, have a lot of the same approaches that you can't look at all in the same places. You know, so just like they had to go to HBCU, 
Sometimes you got to go, I call it, you got to fish in a different pond yeah. if you want to find a different fish. Yeah. If you keep going to the same pond and you never find it and you don't move, then, yeah. you know, you what do they call it? The same fish. They yeah. call it insanity, right? Yeah, you yeah, keep yeah. doing the same thing and expect, expect something different. different. And right. so in yeah. this journey of equity, diversity, and inclusion, it's that same approach. If you keep doing the same things yeah. and you don't get your results, then you've got to kind of come back. And I think it literally we call it plan, do, check, act. Right. You gotta shift and pivot so that you can find something else. Your experiences uh, shape your perspective, and then your perspective shape your attitudes right. as well as your actions. So when you broaden, you know your experiences, then you can have different perspectives. Yeah. And sometimes it even causes your actions and your attitudes to change. Yeah, absolutely. And so that should it should. should. Right. So that's kind of what has happened across my career, as well as in this in this role of how do you change culture? Yeah. And how do you get people to learn more about one another so they can be more accepting? You know, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the context of getting more diverse people in your workforce, right? But supplier diversity kind of takes that to another level. And, and we have not spoken a lot about that on this show. And so I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about more about supplier diversity and why that's an additional layer of diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts that many more sophisticated companies or more advanced companies who've kind of gotten beyond, okay, we just need to diversify our workforce are implementing to make sure that they continue to recruit diverse businesses that you mentioned. Tell us a bit about that. Well, one of the things I like to say is people really seem to understand the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workforce, right? right? right. And so you heard me say earlier, there's a lot of parallelism between supplier diversity and recruiting. So right, if you right. start thinking about the workforce, one of a class I actually took when we were at Lilly, one of the uh, scenarios they shared is if you were building a team, do you want it to look just like you or do you want it to be different? Then they put added uh, another component to it. If you were building a team to compete in the game of Trivial Pursuit, do you want everybody like you? Right. And the answer is obviously no. You need somebody with sports. You right. need somebody who knows trivia. You need somebody who might know pop culture, right. depending on the version of the game you got. So it shows you that you need to bring all different yeah. perspectives. And, and so that applies to the workforce, but it also applies to your business and your construction contractors, to your professional services, yeah. as well as your supplies. You want the people that you're buying from to look like the people you're trying to serve. Right. Because then you're going to get better products. Right. So I know a lot of people focus on diversity of thought, but it's also experience. You bring whatever your life experiences sure. are. And sure. if you look at where I am today, our customer could be from anywhere, right? And so we want to make sure the quality of customer service and experiences we are providing is what that person needs. And yeah. what I think a lot of us were taught our whole life is what we call the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be sure. treated. When in essence, it's the platinum rule is treat others the way they want to be treated. But to do that, you have to figure that out. Right, right. So a right. lot of times we're like, hey, I know I would want this. And so then we apply it not realizing that might be, yeah. you know, not what somebody else needs. So from a supplier diversity perspective, I always say it was a journey. 
So initially there were minority-owned businesses saying we're not at the table. And if you think of, you know, the current big box stores, you know, you've got, I don't want to say names again, but you know what I'm talking about. But then you have the little small mom and shop corner stores. If you don't support those stores, people don't realize there are more people employed by the mom and pop and small businesses than they are the big box stores. And so we've got to make sure that there's a balance. Otherwise, we're going to put um, the small mom and pops kind of out of the out of out of business, which is going to have a negative impact on our economy. Sure. So when you think about that, and when you start scaling, small businesses can seem big to us based on the number of people working there. But when you look at their market, right, and their companies a lot bigger. So think of uh, restaurant franchises. When you got somebody and there's three businesses in your state. And then you try to compare that to somebody who has franchises nationally. Right. They're, they may be big to us, but right. they're they're small in the bigger Comparatively, yeah. thing, everything. Yep. So it's just important that we support everyone because that has a huge impact on our economy. I'd like to ask you, what do you believe is one of the best or the greatest lessons you learned in your first career while focusing on supplier diversity with that engineering background that prepared you for your current DEI role. The different opportunities that I was given as an individual to work in engineering, to work yeah. in human resources, to work um, on a strategic sourcing initiative, to work in procurement, really positioned me to see the supplier diversity and diversity and equity and equity and inclusion from all different sides. Right. So um, I think that kind of prepares you to see the inequities in all the different aspects. And what I would say I learned is sometimes things are intentional and sometimes things are very unintentional. So sometimes people put things in place to help someone not realizing it has an adverse impact to another group. And I can share an example in recruiting. We used to have the get and keep teams and we were talking about how do you find, you know, and assess technical skills. I can share with you personally, I was told I probably wouldn't be a good engineer based on some assessments and tests that were done. And they focused around automotive and funny enough aviation. Well, I could do a lot with a sewing machine. I could do a lot with a refrigerator. My interest wasn't in cars or planes at that time, but the assessments weren't around that skill set. So when you think about some of the things that we do in a work environment, we will create processes and systems for what we think someone should know, not realizing that we're really limiting. If you didn't have that kind of experience, then you're not you're not even brought to the table. That's right. And so it opened my eyes because I would say a lot of people felt things were done always intentionally. So I don't want to some things are. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we play a role in bridging that gap and helping people understand, well, hey, I'm still capable. I'm still competent. Yeah. I don't want to do this, but I'm really good at that. Yeah. And that's when you get that broader diversity, you know, in. And I would say that was the biggest lesson that I learned is to kind of manage the own chip on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And try to turn situations into opportunities to educate people. Because sometimes they didn't mean to 
uh, insults you. Yeah. One of the stories I always tell is I did a big present a capital presentation to try to get support from the leadership team to give me money on a project. And when I was done, uh, the comment that was made is, you speak really well. Mm, yeah. And I know a lot of people can relate, and I could have gotten upset, but my comment was, well, I thought you only hired the best, so wouldn't you expect me to speak well? Right. And the person kind of sat back, and they said, well, you're correct. Right. And I said, well, the bigger question on the table was, did I get the money? Yeah. yeah. Now, are you going to support my project? Right. And so how, how you have to bring it back. So creating the balance. But when things are intentional, you have to deal with those straight on. That's right. And it it's a big burden to bear when something does happen from a conflict standpoint. If you have the opportunity to change perspectives, make somebody aware that they've done something even though it was an intentional that was offensive, we have got to own it yeah. and use that as an opportunity. Some people will lean in and go, oh, I didn't mean that. And some people, you'll know, they did that on purpose. But then that helps you figure out That's how to right. navigate through those situations. That's right. You learn who people are exactly. Yeah. So, so one thing you touched on there, Holly, again, I just want to pull out is the assessment. You basically talked about the inequities and often disparities in the assessment the assessment of people for whatever skill set. I know we see that a lot in legal where, okay, maybe they didn't get all A's, but they worked a part-time job. They did that. You know, there are other things that speak to a person's potential. And I think oftentimes we, particularly as diverse people, don't necessarily fit in the box of the assessor because we have skills and experiences and backgrounds that aren't being assessed. Uh, Jimmy and I talk so much about grit. Like it is a real thing. Grit ought to be a real assessment <laughs> tool because one thing black folks got is grit. We got that if we don't have anything else. And that's not to say that should supersede the academics and the community service and all the other things, but it should be a real assessment tool that, you know, I think just isn't really employed here. So I, I appreciate you bringing that out because I think oftentimes many businesses, when they're saying we can't find the diverse candidate, we can't find, maybe the tools and the assessment factors that you're, you know, comparing them to or evaluating them on aren't really made to, you know, factor or rate them at a high enough place that you feel like they're a good candidate. Maybe your assessment should be, an evaluation should be revisited. Well, one of the things that I think is a debate is should you hire for potential mm. or proven? Yeah, yeah, record. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so one of the things that were noted is that minorities and women are typically promoted and hired based on a proven track record where white males traditionally were given, were coachable, and so someone would give them an opportunity saying, I'm confident that they could do it. Yeah. And so those are some of the things that you've got to look at and say, hey, am I only selecting people based on they're proven, or right. when do I make the exception? And when I make the exception, what does that group look like? Yeah. And so how do you, you know, create more balance? And it just, that's the whole concept of being intentional yeah. and yeah. making sure you're, you're true to what you're doing. No different than you and I. If you look at our circles, 
it's prim- primarily black women and black men, right? right? So when we're looking for somebody, you're going to bring in who you know. And the other part of it is they're representing you. Absolutely. So you, you've got to figure out how do I have more people who are diverse making decisions so they can bring in the people right. that they know the best. But I think sometimes it's a stretch when we talk about, well, you need to go and hire folks, you know, in other places. Yeah, you need to, but human nature, people are not going to hire someone that they don't think would represent them well or they don't think could do the job. Yeah. So that's why it takes a multitude of people. You got to realize, well, I don't know people yeah. in this culture. Yeah. I'm not exposed, so that's I need right. to go get someone that's right. on part of this team that can help make the best decision and bring people who will fit into these organizations. Yeah. If the people who are making the decision all look the same, we know we're going to have inequities. What is specifically related to your position at the airport that likely differs from your standard DEI leadership position roles in other Indiana corporations that are not related to any international travel or tourism? And, and what do you feel empowers you or enables you to really make change at the airport with regard to diverse representation, leadership, engagement, some things you've already talked about within your organization, not just internally, but also with external suppliers and partners, which you have a background in. Yeah, one of the things I would say at the airport is it's a group effort. So it's something that we all own and we work together. We have strategic pillars on economic impact, which is where supplier diversity is. We have workforce development, which is where HR and our workforce initiatives are. And we have a community engagement, but we work together. And so you can have examples of Indiana Black Expo. We can leverage them from a recruiting perspective. That's a way we engage back in the community. So we're also finding um, talent, but we're also reaching out to minority businesses and teaching them how to navigate at the airport and how to uh, do their bids and what they need to do to get access to the system so that they can have access to opportunities. So when you're all working together, it has a greater impact. So you think of it as a tree. So you got Mm -hmm. a tree and then all these branches. And when you're all out trying to help one another, you have a broader collective impact. And that's what I would say. I mean, one of the things a lot of folks talk about is the art program at the Indianapolis airport. And they'll come to me and say, oh, you did a great job. And I said, no, I work with people who get it. So the public affairs, marketing, and communication was already reaching out, working with the Madam C.J. Walker. Yes. Um, and I told them of how much of an impact that had on me as a black female to walk in my place of work Absolutely. and see a 75-foot image. But I, I can't take credit. My partners, you know, my team did that. Not the diversity that, team, but the leadership make, team. Doesn't that make you love your place of work so much more? Where all the diversity efforts don't just fall on your shoulders. I feel the same way. I just went to a art exhibit at Barnes last night. I had nothing to do with it. One of my best friends, Faith Blackwell, was there, and I got to support her. And it was awesome to be at my work home supporting diverse artists and diverse vendors, and I personally had nothing to do with it. That's yeah. an amazing feeling because that's when you know people really buy in. It's not you trying to push diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
people really buy in. And I know Mario and I know Megan and Maggie. I know you work with a powerful team who truly mm -hmm. believes in diversity, equity, and inclusion. But again, everybody isn't blessed enough to work with such a team. And there are many DNI officers mm -hmm. sitting in meetings most days rather than talking about how we can impact the community trying to convince folks on their own team why DEI actually matters and counts. Yeah, that's a big issue when you go into work every day and you're trying to justify why you need to do right. what your job description says. It distracts you from actually getting the work done. Yeah. And what I think is great at the airport, there's an alignment and there's a synergy and we all know what we're working for. So at the end of the day, the why is we're trying to create a better customer service experience for everyone. Right. We want our employees to feel like they are valued and they belong. Our values are respect, integrity, trust, and excellence. And so that's what we do as an employee base. But we also are trying to extend that out to any passenger, any guest that sure. is coming through our facility. And so I can say every day I walk into work, um, people like, I love my job. I feel like I'm making a difference. But the key thing is I am in a place where I can be my true self. Yes. And my true self is valued yes. by my leadership and my peers. And we're, it doesn't mean we get along every day. We have different perspectives, different feelings, but we can talk them out. And at the end of the day, we still walk out as friends. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's huge. Yes. You said earlier, you know, when there are issues that come up or situations that come up, you have to face those head on. And and you also just mentioned how you have the ability to walk into work every day and be your authentic self, and that is valued. And so many diverse people just don't have that, right? So, so how necessary is transparency and authenticity in order to truly effectuate corporate DE&I policies that really change the game with regard to employee fairness and equity and advancement. And are there limits on authenticity and transparency? And when I say that, I mean, you know, we are black women. There are plenty of things that we do in our home, you know, with regard to our hair, how we get together. That isn't for everybody to know, right? It's authentic. It's real. It's how we handle ourselves and take care of ourselves don't know that it always needs to be on the front page or of the newspaper or in your workplace. So I do want you to speak to that. I say that question particularly for you because while yes, you need to be authentic and transparent in your workplace, I've seen that go a bit too far where I've had to pull some young bucks aside and be like, okay, now you can keep that at home. That, that, this is not the place or the time for that. Speak to it. I would say, I mean, and you know me well, it's a balancing act. Yeah. Um, one of the sayings one of my mentors used to say is those who have the gold makes the rules, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to know what environment you're in and if people are going to be receptive. But yeah. you also have to be true to yourself. Right. I've been in both situations where you been your authentic self and it's that shock factor yeah yeah what i can say is i'm blessed and i tell a lot of people you know i'm always my authentic self and it has served me well at some times and it meant at other times people weren't weren't ready yeah um, yeah or or couldn't relate and that we had to have some difficult conversations so I think it's important that you be true to yourself yeah. 
and don't get lost in trying to give people the right answer mm. and, and then lose yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a lot of minorities, um, black and Hispanic folks trying to fit in and conform and do and just lose themselves mm -hmm. and be miserable. Mm -hmm. um, and mental health yeah. can really impact the minority communities when you're trying to fit in yes. someplace that may not value you. And I think once you realize when when somebody doesn't um, appreciate you or value you when you're being your true self, that's not healthy. Yeah. And right. so I really think um, it is it is a challenge, and that's why my earlier comments were about try to figure out how to educate. You know, when you're mad about something, figure out why are you mad. Mm -hmm. Pause for a moment and figure out why don't they understand why I'm mad. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the course of events, especially with George Floyd and all that had happened, it became a movement where people began to share. And the saying I use is it became, it was on people's streets. So our reality was on the front page for the whole world. Right. And why it's sad it took an event like that, it opened up the doors for a lot of conversation, you know, where people are like, well, why are black women crying? I said, that's somebody's father, brother, son. Absolutely. And when, when we saw that, we know every day our Absolutely. father, brother, son, uncle could go out and that could be their reality. Absolutely. And so it, it kind of shocked us. Yeah. And, you know, when you hear people talking about it, you're like, hey, why don't you ask me? Why don't you let me share, you know, what that means, you know, to me? And I think now we have to make sure that it's not just a moment, but it's a movement. Right. And that we continue to educate people on just because I'm different than you doesn't make me wrong. Just because you don't want to roll like I do doesn't make you wrong. Yeah. We can coexist. You are who you are. Right. I, I may not ex understand everything you went through, but you have a lot to offer. And so we have to be open that people who are not like us can do great things. Sure. And we have to figure out, are we being an enabler or are we a barrier to someone else? And it's something that you have to think of kind of constantly of, okay, I saw this young person and, you know, you talk about even millennials now. They're very different than us. Oh, yeah. You know, they have a different experience. But do, are we so set in our ways that we're limiting them? Mm -hmm. That's another form of inequity. Yeah. We just don't understand why they want to be on social media all the time, why they want to tell all their You know, <laughs> but there, there is good that can come out of that. It's a lot like COVID. While a lot of people had to go home, think of where we're at doing things virtually mm -hmm. that... We never thought That's people right. are effective not being all in a group. Now, there are some settings where we need to work together, but positive things. We wouldn't be using Teams like we are now. Right. We wouldn't be Zooming, you right. know, like we are. I mean, even the, the podcast, people are able to take time to sit and learn yes. where we were so busy and caught up in life. So I know I've gone kind of all all around, but all of that is to say, not only do you need to figure out how you can be your true, transparent, authentic self, but you need to make sure you're not being a barrier to someone else trying to be their self. I think we have a responsibility to 
encourage our young folks to be their authentic and transparent selves, but also in a way that is going to benefit and advance them, not, you know, ca cause barriers and challenges. But I think the best way we do that is by doing that ourselves, mm -hmm. right? By demonstrating that you can be your authentic self and still be in an executive environment and be valued and respected for being just that, right? Yep. I think we both had opportunities to be in environments where you see what that value looks and feels like. And once you get that taste of an environment and a team and a company and an organization where you do feel valued, where your opinion actually matters, where they want to hear your perspective, it's really, really hard to go back to something else. And it's it's apparent very quickly mm -hmm. that, oh no, this isn't the environment. I can already tell by the side conversations or I can tell by, you know, and, and you're a lot more apt and quick to leave because you know what that environment feels like. So I want to talk about that. We had Angel Henry on our show several months ago and Angel, you know, has written a book about black women in STEM and their experiences. But I think many of those experiences apply to black women, whether they're in STEM or they're in whatever industry. And she talks a lot about the emotional trauma of dealing with a corporate environment where you're not allowed to be your authentic self, where that is not valued and how over time that takes such a toll. We are at a point where we've seen, we know, we've done it, enough women who finally decided, okay, that's it. It's time to make a change. I can't do this anymore. And so I wanna I want to talk about that because I think women, I think we know women typically stay in relationships too long and that's what it is. It's, whether it's your employer or a husband or a partner, it's a relationship. And when you've been in any relationship for years and years, it's hard to leave because you know what you know. Um, but talk to us about when you know it's time to make a move. Give some encouragement to mm -hmm. ladies out there who may be <laughs> listening to this who are in that space, right? Mm -hmm. You and I have both been there. And let them know there is life on the other side. We're, we're living it and we're both happier. But in that time, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Scary. And it is scary as all get out. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it is It is very hard. What, you know, what I would say, what I would tell my younger self, yeah. you know, because we went through a lot, is, you know, when you go to buy a house, you have certain things that are you want like for me I wanted brick I wanted uh, a basement you know what are the things that are really important to you so not you know for a house but for you in your career yeah. you know and it took me uh, over 20 years to figure out what was really important was not money and yeah. but coming in that's what I thought it was all about the money yeah um but it wasn't the money everybody's chasing money when you're young yeah so you know my advice is you know money is great but when you go if you're driving home crying mm -hmm. or feeling like you want to cry is is it is it really worth it so work-life balance was important if work, you spend eight hours at least yeah. at a job and if it is pure yeah hell yeah you're bringing that home to your family. So work-life balance is something that I think people need to evaluate if they're trying to figure out do they need to pivot because um, if you don't have something 
something happy at the end of the day, I mean, it can just yeah. beat you down or you're going to take it out on the people that you really care about right. and you really love and it has nothing to do with them. The other part is at work, do you feel valued? Right. Again, and value is not always money. Um, what I always like to put the caveat on is there is pay equity. You don't want somebody to love your job and not get paid for it. Right. But when I'm talking about value for for this is, are my ideas being heard? Are my, can I implement, you know, the things that I want to do or is somebody constantly telling me no right. and I've got to implement something else so I'm more of a robot than a contributor. Right. you got to be contributing and adding value or you begin to question yourself. Yeah. And then you put that along with these performance evaluation process. And when somebody tells you so many times yeah. that you're average yeah. or below average, yeah. um, you might actually start playing into that. So you're not living your potential. You're not doing your best because somebody is always telling you your best is not good enough. Yes. So when you're not being valued, you've got a hard decision to make. So the other thing is, are you passionate? Do you love what you do? Are, do you feel like you're making a difference? So those are kind of my three things. Like the house is I need a work-life balance. Yeah. I need to make sure I feel like I'm valued and I'm contributing. Yeah. And I need to feel like my work is making an impact and I'm making a difference. Yeah. You know, you may not have all of them all the time, but if you are missing uh, one um, but you see light at the end of the tunnel, right. you know, you can get past it. But if you're missing two, right. you're probably going to be miserable. And that, like, again, I personally think that's really going to have an adverse impact on your own mental health. Yeah. You're going to take it out on the people that you really love because yeah. you can't take it out on the people who you work with. Right, right. And you've got to evaluate what are those things for you. And you've got to have a process where you pause and look at your, your career and say, where am I? Mm -hmm. Do I have two of them? And that's what we're not get, good at. We're so busy cranking and working, but you're not pausing. And that's why the support groups, so you know we had the affinity group that bonded us together sure, sure. that allowed us to have a whole nother set of conversations. That's so right. you, you got to figure out how to create those support groups through your friends, yeah. Um, through work colleagues. Um, when I was in my mode, there were some women who lifted me higher than I saw myself and gave me the strength and the courage to say, I'm out. Yeah. We need to do that. So you've got to put yourself around people who see the best in you and you've got to go to them and saying, hey, is this a good situation? Because sometimes, yeah. you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. You see the, the prestige, you see the yeah. authority, the position. But you know at the end of the day, you're not really yes. in a position where you're contributing yeah. like you know you could. But I also want us to speak to the Indiana corporate leadership because I truly do believe, you know, one of the good things that came from George Floyd and all that travesty is the realization of true inequities and disparities in corporate America with regard to diverse people and particularly diverse women. I tell people now, black women and diverse women are as in as we're ever going to be. If you're thinking <laughs> about making a power move right now is the time to make it. And so I think that also shifts the dynamic a bit with regard to 
corporate employment. I know plenty of people, plenty of women who stayed in positions for years and years, not necessarily happy, but you do get caught up in the prestige. I remember when I left, it was, you had to do some self-identification and figure out, okay, without this title and without this, who am I and where do I fit? But what do corporate leaders, particularly now that you're in a different place, you're a DE&I executive, so you see kind of the challenges. What do, do corporate leaders need to appreciate and understand about the missed opportunities to truly invest and engage their diverse talent prior to them getting to a point where they realize, you know what? I'm tired, I realize it's not gonna happen here and I'm about to make the next jump. Because right now, there are probably, there are more jobs than people can fill, remote opportunities make. We're not as bound to the Midwest and to Indiana as quite frankly, a lot of big employers have gotten very comfortable saying, well, you know, it's all Indiana people. You don't have to be from Indiana and you don't have to only work here now because of you know all that's happened with COVID. So what would you advise employers who are seeking to retain their talent or recruit diverse talent? What do they need to focus on in making sure that their employees are valued, starting with the employee resource groups? Because you're absolutely right. The, those forums provide opportunities even me as a scientist, where there were not many diverse people to get with like-minded folks and just have real conversations. And oftentimes just the conversation itself can help kind of lift you up and boost you up when you're in more isolated situations. But what do our corporate leadership need to focus on to make sure diverse talent stays? One, I would say they need to be accessible. Mm. Um, it's easy to make statements and comments, but if you've never spoken <laughs> to anyone that's not a direct report to you right. about uh, what your vision and goals are and have you, has your organization realized that you're living off an assumption, and I think that's what a lot of folks do or they put the responsibility on somebody else on their team, but leaders should go out and they should know, be accessible right. so that if there is something going on, people feel comfortable talking to them. And I would say there's, you know, with everything, there's balance. So, you know, there's some people, if you give them access to you, they're going to complain and gripe. <laughs> so you got to realize you're going to hear some of that. Um, and I, equate almost everything to recruiting. When you think of you got one job and you got 100 people <laughs> interested in it, you, you, you got to weigh, you know, figure out how to weigh through it. But you got to be accessible. But then you got to listen. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people might not be telling you things you want to hear. Right. And you have to be open. So I would say being accessible, being attentive and listening, and then being open, um, and then to take action. Everything is a two-sided coin. So there are going to be people that are going to say heads, some are going to say tails, you know, in every situation. But when the tail is wrong, you got to address it. Right. You can't avoid a situation because, you know, some people aren't ready. Right, right. Um, and, and it's hard. And that's why leaders are leaders, because right. they are able yeah. to deal with difficult situations, just not the easy street. And we talk a lot about, you know, standing up for the the little guy that's what a leader needs to do right. because 
um, just in the power of their position sometimes when they give an edict people are going to follow it right you know when they ask a question people are like hmm I guess that's you know really important I wish I could say everybody is motivated for the right reasons to do the right thing they're not right so you know you just are going to have to navigate through it but I think leaders if they want to retain top talent they're going to have to understand what the culture needs to look like and then be a game changer to make it happen and their leadership team is going to have to be on the same page with them otherwise you know it's going to create barriers and things like that Uh, what I will say is in the community of you know Indiana primarily Indianapolis since that's where I've been I've I've seen differences compared to when I came in 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 the early 90s I remember walking the halls and every diverse person was waving almost because it was so few and yeah, far yeah. between. So, so rare to see somebody. And when you, when you saw somebody <laughs> else who looked like you, and I mean, when I walk through the streets here, it's just just different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also different. I mean, I'm looking at you and your, with your hair. You know, we couldn't wear yeah. natural hair. And then somebody told us, you know, we couldn't. And you look, you know, fast forward now, and you talked about the authenticity. Right. Somebody can be their authentic self and still be perceived as a business, right. you know, person. You don't have to be an entrepreneur if you want to wear your natural hair. So that whole, you know, thing about balance is leaders have to realize that success may not always look as it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they may miss out on the next big thing because they prejudged somebody. And and that's one of the things that, you know, you're you're scared of. You're like, okay, here are my experiences. I've got to be open. So when somebody who is different or we might think mm, they might not have anything to offer, you've got to check yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to lean in instead of leaning away or pushing them off to, to somebody else. Because success looks a lot different than yeah, it used to. Right. And right. so I think people, you know, especially leaders, have to be intentional about who's not at the table. Right. You know, and why not? Leaders have to set the tone. So if you have a leader that is limited in their focus, that's what's going to, in yeah. my opinion, happen within their organization. Where if you have leaders that are very open and open to change, right. you're going to see a lot of innovation. It doesn't mean it's going to be right every time. You you can't be risk adverse. You can't be afraid to fail. Right. With a person, you just got to pick it back up and keep working at it. Right, right. So, so Holly, you mentioned that, you know, you've been here 30 years. You, you've seen how things change. You just mentioned, you know, even 20 years ago, you were told you couldn't wear natural hair. hair. Now you see women in natural hair all the time, and that's not even a thing. So given that vantage point, tell us about some of the greatest advances you've seen Indiana companies make as a collective over the last, you know, couple decades particularly as it reflects or catalyzes into more diverse and inclusive workspaces and corporate environments, but also some of the challenges that you still foresee 
Indiana companies facing on the DNI front, particularly from the vantage point of an organization that clearly must value people from everywhere because you literally <laughs> have customers and passengers from everywhere and anywhere. Yeah, what I would say is, you know, I talked about representation. I've seen the demographic change and mm. not just of the community, but of the leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have... Um, African-Americans, Hispanic and Latinos and women leading companies, they're going to make change to include diversity. They're not going to exclude people who look like them. I don't think that's natural to anyone. So that in itself breeds more equity. But one of the challenges that you see with that is sometimes they're still alone in their sectors. Mm -hmm. And so I still think there's opportunities for us to come together and work together because one of the challenges is if you have one company that's really good on diversity, equity, has a great culture, and you're a person who is like, "Mm, I don't like that, you can bounce to another company. Right. And if that company doesn't have that, um, there are different initiatives going on. One is the BEI, Business Equity for Indy, where they're trying to bring everybody together so that people can't jump from company, but everybody has similar focuses. And I think that's really going to make um, a big difference. I'm part of the procurement group where we're really trying to zone in on how do we make a difference in supplier diversity, and we're sharing who the diverse businesses are. Because one of the biggest perceptions is you can't find anybody. Well, you got to look. And so by coming together and bringing everybody, we're, we're making a difference. So as you have leaders who have a different diverse mindset and you have individuals who are actually different Mm -hmm. and we begin to come together, I think we'll make more change in the community, but there's still struggles. It really is a learning and growth process for us all. I mean, even Jimmy came to a group of us and had a conversation was like, would you have a problem with this? And this is a diverse group of people and it was completely split. Some people are like, no, that wouldn't be a problem. Other people are like, yes, that's a problem. So it's not just clearly laid out of what the right thing and the wrong thing, the do's and the don'ts. There are some things, though, that are kind of obvious. But I do <laughs> Absolutely. Think, but I do think, you know, when you start getting in the weeds and really dealing with a corporate organization, who gets promoted and who gets hired, things do get complicated. It's not just easy as black and white, although, you know, it, pardon the pun. So as we come to a close, Holly, I want to ask you, and I'm going to poke you a little bit because you said here uh, before we started, you know, the crybabies in the house. I know you, you are like me. It just comes with age. You become more sensitive and more emotional and more thankful. Yeah. You know, I don't think to take things for granted anymore. I don't Just assume that my son, who we talked about earlier, is going to drive and make it home. You know, there there are things that you become a lot more aware of and a lot more appreciative about. And so as you think about, you know, where you've come from, where you are now, what this Indianapolis culture looks like going forward as you, I know you have... um, kids who are getting ready to get out here in the world or have just done that. (laughs) I do too. And so that puts a different lens on things Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with it versus you knowing your kids are going to have to deal with some of these challenges and inequities. What would you suggest to any of our Indiana leaders 
who are serious about recruiting and hiring and retaining diverse talent, particularly diverse talent that's homegrown. They are born here, they're raised here, they've grown up here, but so many are looking to, as soon as they have an opportunity, I'm trying to go. To keep that talent here in the state, and certainly everybody goes away. I went away from home too, but at least come back or have plans to come back when the time is right. What do you think we as Indiana leaders can continue to do or start doing to make our young talent want to settle here and start life here and make, you know, this community better versus leaving and going and making some other community better. Yeah, one of the things we we talk about a lot is that organizations here I don't think share the good. So one of the examples I I shared, I remember when I moved here, the only thing I heard is there's more to Indiana than corn, but I didn't know what that was. Right, right, right. And I think, you know, my viewpoint is in Indianapolis and Indiana is kind of the crossroads. There's, we're central. Right. Uh, there's a lot that passes through here. And we don't tell our own story yeah. uh, about what is good. You know, everybody knows I'm a diehard uh, Detroiter, but I mean, this has been my home um, for 30 years. Yeah. So you still want the community here to thrive. Right. And I think one of the focuses is reaching out. It's never too early to start. And mm-hmm. what I'd also like to press is never too early to make a good or bad impression. So as corporate, from a corporate responsibility standpoint, um, reaching out is you know, K through 12, right. what are you, what are you doing? Uh, there's some amazing programs. Um, there was lead. Um, now there's the program with Providence Crystal Ray, where they're getting students exposed to a corporate experience. You've got the employee indie and map and ascend initiatives, um, that are taking places. How do you find out how to reach and make it a positive impression early yeah yeah, um that's right and sometimes you know like i said you may come across a a young person they're like i don't want to do that but helping them navigate to what they might like and away from what they don't is still a good thing absolutely and so i i i think it's important to start earlier if we're trying to attract because Mm -hmm. you know things happen in cycles so I think you and I are in the group where our parents were like, you need a corporate job and you need to rise to the top and you need to get a 401k. I mean, so we were gung-ho. I think our kids have seen the good and bad. Mm-hmm. Some have seen us thrive and some have seen us struggle. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do That's that. Right. Yeah. You know, and so what's gonna, what's that next generation? We have an opportunity to shape to say you can be anything. You can come work in corporate America or you can be a provider of supplies or services right. or work to support projects at an organization. But how do we help the young folks map their way so they want to be a part of this versus, you know, shying away from it and not just the work but the community they need to see how we are working together so we need to support the different initiatives that are happening 
we need to support the Asian Alliance. You know, they just had that awesome mm -hmm. International Day, which, you know, I wasn't able to stay for the whole, but it was awesome. But we should be participating. The The number of youth that were there, you know, we've got IBE, you know, coming up. We've got programs like Center for Leadership Development. Absolutely. we got Dress for, we all need to be present and not just as organizations being a part of these um, programs to check a resume, but really leveraging that to build and attract up and coming youth to our community. Yeah. And so I think we've got the what we call the secret sauce and the right things. We just have to be intentional and work together to make sure you know young people see, look at how I could thrive. This organization is thriving, and they could see themselves thriving with us. So, so with that, Holly, I, I thank you so much for sharing with us. Do you have any last thoughts? One thing I do want to mention: it is LGBTQ Pride Month. Um, this is. Are there any particular things that the airport is doing to uh, emphasize and celebrate our LGBTQ uh, family in Indianapolis? Yes. Well, one of the things on the supplier diversity side, I don't know how many people are aware that we have an Indy Rainbow Chamber. And um, so like the city of Indianapolis does certification, uh, the state does, the MBE, WBE, sure, sure. BBE. There is a national um, NGLCC certification, and there's an organization here that people can be a part of. We recently became uh, a part of it and are trying to work more from a supplier diversity standpoint. Um, one of the learnings I would say we had is when you look at all of our materials, historically it talked about minority women veteran. Right. And uh, DBE, which is disadvantaged, that's a federal certification. Our mindset was everybody was included, but I had a conversation is, well, if you don't see it, you're not sure. Right. And the reason we didn't include it is because there was no goal. Um, but even though there's no goal, there is an opportunity to participate in our program. So in our most recent diversity brochure, we added it. Right. And we also joined the, the Rainbow Chamber so we can make sure we're sending out information and, and that community knows you can work yeah, that's um, right. at the airport. We will be participating in the upcoming Pride Parade yes, and are yes, very yes. excited. Yes. And then there's an OutCare organization that is also having a gala and we're going to be participating in that. And just excited, you know, um, and you've got to have, you know, conversations. Yeah. Um, I think there have been a lot more conversations within the organization where employees are beginning to share and, yeah. and, and talk despite um, concerns about bias in the broader community. And I think by attending these events, again, what I talked about earlier is experiences. If you don't have that experience, yeah, everything right. you're second guessing. But once you start participating, you can learn about different perspectives. And you've heard me talk about when it's on your street, when you know somebody, right. then you want to support them. But if you're not in a place where you can meet somebody, you're never going to learn yeah. and, and broaden your perspective and maybe shift your attitude. Thank you for all you at the air, airport are doing for this community. I mean, it really is amazing for Indianapolis to be named as the best airport in North America for the last decade, not just once or twice, the last decade. That's awesome. And yep. I know that has, has only been a 
um, result of so many good people like yourself and Mario and so many others I know out there really caring about that organization, caring that Indianapolis is viewed in a beautiful perspective as soon as people land here. And we just thank you for all you all do to make Indianapolis such an awesome community that me and you have both chosen to stay <laughs> and call home. So thank awesome. you for all you do. And it's great to have you. Here. All right. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you again to Holly Harrington. And thanks to you for joining us on this 11th episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Central Indiana business community.